leading this church. I said that in Sunday school. I, I'm, I'm shocked. Man, he can sing. Now, you, I, I, now, he's no Tim Raider, but granted. But. <laughs> yeah, that's what my wife said. Oh, the world can only have one of those kind of guys. Just one. I, I think probably your wife would say the very, very same thing. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans in chapter 8. Someone asked me just before I, before between Sunday school and church, man, you're going to tell everybody who you are again? Well, I, I guess I could take a, maybe a minute to do that. I'm from the UP. I'm, I'm a Uper by birth and by doctrine. And you may, not, you may be wondering, some, some people, it's amazing to me, but as I travel throughout the uh, country, there are people that don't even know anything about the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. They just think the Michigan's the mitt. Boy, you want, you want my blood to boil. That's all you got to do. I'm born and raised up there in the Holy Land. I'm from the UP. That's where men are men and so are the women. And, and it's, it's the dark peninsula. Only 3% of the population of Michigan lives up there. Brother Bill will, will, will be my, my, give credibility to what I said this morning in Sunday school. Truth. You will see snowblowers in July on the roofs of people's houses. That's true, isn't it, Don? And Bill knows that to be, because he saw, he saw, where you at, Bill, right here, he saw a fence around somebody's house, you know, the, uh, on the roof in the summertime. You know why that is? The Upers are too lazy to bring the snowblowers down from the big snow in the wintertime, so they'll leave it up there all year long. I, I, I am not kidding, not kidding. Romans in chapter 8. Oh, so here's who I am, I'll tell you. I am a Bible-thumping, academic, Bible fundamentalist. There needs to be more Bible preachers, because that's the hope of the world, is Christ. And the Bible, not funny stories and not, not, not feel-good, uh, you know, fuzzy kind of stuff, but we need the Word, the very Word of God. And I am a fundamentalist. I drink my coffee black. That's because I'm a fundamentalist. No hazelnut, no foo-foo flavoring, none of that kind of stuff. Not even any cream, straight. I want it black because I'm a Bible fundamentalist. I cut my own hair because I'm a Bible fundamentalist. I don't go to, a, I don't go to a, a salon. Oh, God deliver us from that. I see men in salons. I don't even go to a barber. I cut my own hair. I sometimes wonder what the guy behind me in church is looking at back there, but I cut my own hair, and that's because I am a Bible fundamentalist. I hate cell phones. I confessed to you two years ago, my cell phone expired due to a bullet wound. It took two shots. I only nicked it the first time, that demon-possessed thing. Uh, and, I find, and I got another phone, and I just took great pleasure in, in, in taking it. That's because I'm a Bible fundamentalist. John Wayne is my hero. That's because I'm a Bible fundamentalist. I love rock-ribbed, snot running from your nose, medicine taste in your mouth, American football. And I still believe that soccer is part of the communist infiltration of America. It's because I'm a Bible fundamentalist. Romans in chapter 8. I'd like to preach the whole chapter. I'll summarize the first 16, 17 verses by telling you this. You are not, as a child of God, if you're someone that's born again, you are not tied to the sins of the past or of the future. Through Christ's sacrifice and the Spirit's abiding power, I am a son of God. It almost sounds blasphemous. Join air with Christ. Are you kidding I'm Tim Raider, but because of the grace of God, and I, and I know I preached this, I think it was Friday night, it's fresh in my mind. I'm going to heaven because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. 
If you just happen to be here this morning and you're not sure that when you die you're going to heaven and you're thinking, man, I might make it or I might not make it, you're, you're not saved. If you're, you're someone that's thinking, man, I hope I'm good enough, you're not saved because you're not good enough, nor am I. The book of Romans teaches and uses the word imputed when you get born again. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an act of faith. It's all of faith, it's all of grace, it's all of mercy, and you receive, and I did in fifth grade, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only reason I'm going to heaven is Jesus. That's it. And I received his imputed. That means it was put upon me. So that when God, the Holy Father, God the Father looks down upon this sinner man, Tim Rader, he sees the righteousness of none other than Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That's salvation by grace. Romans in chapter 8 if you were to put a title on this, it'd be the, the doctrine of joy. Um, why should I be discouraged? Everything is going to be all right. In fact, the doctrine of joy is taught over 500 times in the Word of God. God uses happy people. God uses people that know the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I know of no exceptions with, with the exception of possibly Jonah, and it didn't really go real well for him. God chooses to use people that have the joy of the Lord. You do not have the gift, it's not a gift of the Holy Spirit to be a wet blanket. Negativity, man, I don't see that anywhere in the Word of God except for people that are out of sorts with God. If your nose is bent, Get right before God this morning so God can start to use you. Don't be that guy that when you come in the room, man, it's a wet blanket. No, nobody even wants to be around you because, man, you're, you're just wallowing in the darkness of the world. Man, Romans in chapter 8 is everything is going to be all right. Look at verse, verse 18. Let's just start with that. Verse 18, and here's what I'm finding in the family of God. There are many who are saved and they know where they are going. But they don't know what they have and they don't know really who they are. All they know is there was a moment I got born again, I was adopted in the family of God and they're just kind of bouncing through this life, ricocheting from one problem to another problem and they don't know what they already have in Christ and they really don't know who they are. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now Paul wrote this with the clouds of persecution coming upon that first century church. Paul wrote this to encourage the brethren. Look what he says in verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Verses 18 through verse through the end of the chapter, verse 39, we are on the road from groans to glory. Child of God, if you're born again and you are a child of God, you need to start recognizing what God has done for you and what God has promised to you and who you are being a joint heir with Christ. Didn't read that verse. It's in the previous verses. And, and I'm telling you, it sounds blasphemous to me. For me to think that because of Jesus, and that's the reason I'm a member of the family of God. I'm a, I'm a member of the royal family. And I've got things, I'm still here on this earth, but there are things promised to me. And, and this isn't a health and wealth kind of sermon. And that, that's not it at all. There's going to be difficulties, and that's what he says in verse 18. 
says every, all the suffering of this present time, we get the glory, we understand, we will understand fully that we are not, it's not worthy to be compared, not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I'm telling you the best way I know how this morning, the best is yet to come. Right now we have the opportunity, a God-given opportunity of time to live in a world of darkness and carry the light. We've got the opportunity right now. This dispensation of time is committed against us. That's what Paul said. And we are going to give an account for the 21st century. You'll give an account for the years that you live here in Jackson County. You'll give an account for, for the opportunity of life after you're born again and you hold the truth. You have that heavenly treasure in an earthen vessel. You'll give an account to God before the bema seat of Christ and what you did in sharing the truth. Now, I, I, I want you to know again, listen to the Apostle Paul. God has a passion for every sinner a plan for every saint and provision for every son. We worship the great God of heaven. You understand that no matter what Monday holds for you, if you'll walk with God, you'll walk in victory. Look at verse 30. Let's just jump on ahead to verse 30. I'll get right to it here as quickly as I, as I possibly can this morning. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 30, predestined. Talking to believers, predestined. You get born again, you're as good as there. You are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. Even though you're a sinner right now, saved by grace, your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life, and it's a done deal. The Holy Spirit is the earnest. The blood of God, the blood of Christ has washed away all your sin. I understand the Bible. I know this to be true. 400 times it says there's one way to heaven. One way. And we're told over and over again in the New Testament, and we see the examples in the Old Testament, we're not perfect here yet on this earth. We have not arrived. Paul said, I have not, I have not apprehended. I have not arrived. And I understand, but, I, but we are predestined. The moment you got born again, you started to live forever, and you are predestined to one day have a glorified, perfected body. You'll be like Jesus. You won't be deity. You won't be a part of the Trinity, but you're part of God's family. What a wonderful truth that is. I am as good as in heaven already. Sometimes I can, sometimes in my prayer closet, I can, I'm afraid to open my eyes because I know I'm in the presence of God. Just this morning, kneeling by my bed at the Hampton Inn in room 207, God met with me. God met with me. Man, I got on my knees and I prayed and, and, and God's presence was so real. Man, I, I don't know if I told you this yet, this week or not, but I adore my God. Man, I worship him. Some days come and we're going to, the days come and we'll worship him right. But God is so pleased with, with any child of God that just, he has their heart. No reason to be discouraged. I'm as good as in heaven already. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 31. What shall we then say? 
to these things. If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm not alone. I have a God in heaven. He is my advocate. He is the one that's there intercessing on my behalf. He's the chief shepherd. He is the, he's the great high priest. He knows everything that I'm going through. You say, and I look, I'm down here looking at people. I'm thinking, man, there's people in every direction, not at all like Chippewa County. You know I mean? Not at all, man. I just have people in every direction, and I'm thinking, I wonder how many of these people are born again. And yet God knows, and, the, and especially knows those that are his own. And he knows every need. He knows every heart. He knows every thought. You say, how is that possible? He's God. He's omniscient. He's not a man-made God. He's the God of the Bible. And no matter what you're going through right now, I'm telling you, you're not alone. Come on into the will of God. Come on in. The water's fine. Experience the presence of God. God, not only you're as good as already there in heaven, but you're not alone as you go through this world. Last, last fall, my mother-in-law, who just, she's in heaven now. When I first married, when I first got married, I was the worst son-in-law she had. I was the Baptist. I was the one that's starting a church and making $25 a week and what in the world are you doing with my daughter and you know that kind of thing. And um, she, was, she was Nazarene in background. And uh, at any rate, I was, but through the years and the process of her warming up, she was the stereotypical, Korean, you know, she was the stereotypical mother-in-law. I mean, her house was immaculate. You go over there for Thanksgiving dinner, there was plastic on the carpet everywhere. You, you kind of, you felt like you were in a, in a museum, man. You know? and, and I always felt like she was judging me, you know, looking, looking down. Because I had a little church of 25 people at that time, you know. And man, what in the world? You know? and, and, but, but she grew in grace. And she grew. In, we, and through the process of elimination of divorce, I became the number one son-in-law, all right? So I, you, just, you just hold to the stuff, right? And, 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 and she got so close to God. In the last years of her life, Oh, my goodness. Oh. She'd always ask me, because her husband, Roger, had died several years back. And she said, why is God keeping me here? Why am I? Why am I? I said, well, Corrine, you know, God's got something for you. There's, you, you got a testimony. You, you, you're witnessing to people. And she got so close to God. When she passed away, when she went home to heaven, she was in my, my wife's arms. And it was precious and and. My wife's sister was there as well, an adult sister, and, and Corrine was in my wife's arms, and, and uh, she started to breathe real shallow. I've had the privilege of being with more than my share of people that went to heaven, the last breaths. Wow. That's something you've got to experience. She started to breathe shallow, and Debbie, my wife, said, uh, Mom, you don't have to stay here. You can go. She was so weak. She lifted her head. God is my witness. She said, I see him. <laughs> and my wife and, and, and Sandy, they're, they're listening. And, and she says to my wife, he's here. I have to go. And she dropped her head. <laughs> You're not alone in this world. You are not alone. You, you need to understand what you have in Christ. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of life. If you, can, you and I could just flesh out Romans in chapter 8. A joint heir with Christ. Predestined to be just like him. 
Never being left alone, not here on this earth. I have all of God, I have God, and God has me. Verse 32, I have it all. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Man, I have it all in Christ. Hold your hand here and go back to 1 Kings in chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. I want to read verses 1 through 9. This is the queen of Sheba coming to visit. She has difficulty understanding how good it is for Solomon. Israel is now at its zenith, militarily, financially. Man, it's the capital of the world. God has made some promises to his covenant people, the Old Testament Israel, and, and he's not done dealing with them. He's going to pick it up during the great tribulation, during the tribulation. But, but he's made some promises, and when they're obeying God, God blesses them. We see that pattern over and over again. Hey, same thing's true with the church. Same thing is true with your life. If you'll obey God, he will bless you. And, and, and Sheba hears about this. The queen of Sheba, she hears about this. Look what it says in verse, verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a gr very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, let's go on, we're not done, and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It took her breath away. And as she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told me, thy wisdom, and the prosperity exceedeth, and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Verse 8. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. And he goes on and, and on. And she goes on. Yeah, the, the truth is this. God is not an ogre in heaven trying to think of ways to make you miserable. All you've got to do is, man, if you would just obey him, you'll find out that you have a good heavenly father. You have a good shepherd that loves you. Maybe you're just the guy that comes to church on Sunday morning. Why don't you get past yourself? Why don't you get over yourself? Well, I've always done it that way. I've got things to do. I, I work all week. God bless you if you work all week. I, you know, God will give you the strength. There's going to be a church service here tonight. Now, why don't you just see what God has for you? Just serving God part-time, I've got to ask you this. How's that going? What's happening in your life? You were designed to serve God and fellowship with God. If you just recognize all you have in Christ, go back to Romans in chapter 8 again, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. I sat in the chair of the accused. The judge that sat on the throne is none other than, 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 than God the Father, the Holy One, Jehovah God. 
the righteous one. The prosecuting attorney was old Beelzebub. He's the devil, the evil one, the prince of darkness. Laid my life out before God, very honestly. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I've offended a holy God. It's like sometimes I can't help myself. Guilty. But my defense attorney is Jesus Christ. He stands up, looks to the judge, and says, Father, I paid for this man's sin. The judge slams the gavel down and says, Son, I offer you a pardon. Not probation. It's all paid for. A full pardon. What are you going to do with that? If you're here today and you're not born again, God the Father offers you a pardon. Notice the words. He justifies us. That's a legal term. Exonerated. It's all gone. All my guilt. All my sin. All my shortcomings. All. God the Father says, I offer you not probation, but a full pardon. Are you willing to receive it? Jesus died for you. He offers to you eternal life. Eternal life is not temporary life. It's eternal. It's forever. Once you got it, you'll never lose it. Once your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, it'll never be taken out. What a wonderful promise that is. I am justified because of Jesus Christ. Romans in chapter 8. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I'm not forgotten. I'm being prayed for. There's no condemnation. Verse 1. Christ is our advocate, our mediator, our great high priest. First John says that when you sin, when you sin, he knows we're going to sin. When you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a defense attorney, an, an intercessor. You are, are not forgotten. You might be struggling right now. Why don't you just come and lay your life at the foot of the cross? Why don't you come with all of your baggage and all of your broken pieces and just lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I messed up again. Could you? I'm telling you, God will use you again. God will forgive you and he'll give you another opportunity. That's the God that we serve. He knows our frame, the, the, the psalmist said. He knows that we are but dust. He knew that when Tim Rader, that little snot-nosed, baggy-pantsed boy that got saved in fifth grade, got on his knees and poured his heart out to God and become, become adopted into the family of God, he knew that I would sin again after that. He knew all the times that I would let him down. All the times I would break my father's heart. All the times that I, I, I weakly cowered in a corner. All the times that I willingly chose sin. But he saved me anyway. What a great God we serve. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know what it is that's 
going on in your life, good or bad, but you're not forgotten. Your preacher might forget you. Uh, your wife might forget you. Your husband might, your grandma might, even your mama might forget you. But Jesus never will. Verse 35, I'm secure. Oh, I love this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He names things abstract and physical. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The word conqueror there means super conqueror. We win. We win because of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely secure in Christ. Nothing can take us from the hand of God. Matthew chapter 26, nothing can separate us. Not even my own sin. Not the devil. I can't even jump out of the hands of God because I'm saved by grace. Don't be afraid of death. And don't be afraid of life. I'll give you a happy thought towards the end of the message here. Here's a happy thought. One day you're going to die. They're going to carry your body down to the local cemetery. They're going to dig a hole. They're going to put that lifeless carcass down in the, ho in the hole. And then they're going to throw dirt on your face. And they're going back to the church to eat potato salad. That's exactly what happens. I, I think it's a Baptist distinctive. I'm not sure. That, that just seems like that's always, always what happens. Life is short. Man, it's short. Whew. I turned 60. I'm a little bit sensitive yet. March the 25th, I turned 60. I never thought, I never thought I'd be an old man. Here I am. You know, truthfully, I, I look around, I see younger people. I think we're peers you know, I do. And then I, then I, I walk by something where I see my own reflection or something. I go, man, that's an old, that, that guy's in bad shape. The way of the transgressor is hard. You know, that's, the, the, our life is short. Everybody that's old knows that. Everybody, man, two and a half years ago, I was 21 years old. And just, what happened, man? I turned around three times and I got up and wow, you know. I still sleep good at night. God is still good to me. I, I sleep so sound. When I get up in the morning, I go through this little routine. I don't, I don't even know who I am when I wake up in the morning. I, and it's been that way all my life. You know, I could, my, my, my sons have inherited the same ability. I, I could lay down on that pew right there, and I'll be to sleep in 10 minutes. And I'll be sound asleep. I know I sleep sound because I wake up, my throat's sore. You know what that's from, right? Yes, yeah, from snoring. Do you know what that is? Yeah. I, I go through this little checklist. Let's see, who am I? Oh, yeah, I'm Tim Raider. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man, I'm a preacher. Oh, man, is this Sunday? Do I have a sermon ready? You know, I go through the same routine all, all of the time. And, and all of a sudden, man, I'm in the twilight years of my life. Now, I, I'm praying for another 10, 15 good years. And, I, and I, told, I told Pastor Josh and Pastor Bill at home, man, just, just don't tell me I'm not the senior pastor when I'm not the senior pastor anymore. Give me a little rocking chair over there in the corner somewhere, and I'll amen you, and, and we'll have a good time together. Life is short. How many of you old people ever thought you'd get old? Man, do you remember when you were in second grade and you thought Mrs. Graham, man, that's an elderly lady, and then you found out later on, and she's still an elderly lady, and she's still here on this earth, and now you're an old person, you're thinking, man, she must not have been all that old back then. It's all a little bit relative. Time is slipping through our fingers. 
opportunities in life, it's drifting away. Our life is but a vapor, James said. It's here and it's gone. And you people that are younger, you think you've got lots of time, I'll tell you something. You don't. You don't. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Look at verse 38. I think it's the best part. Paul said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor, uh, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We have an eternal God. We have a great God. And Jesus is our guarantee. He's a living God. He conquered the grave. He was in a borrowed tomb. He said, I'm not going to need it very long. Just three days. It was borrowed. He rose from the dead. That separates the men from the boys. That separates all the religious, um, uh, man-made religions in the world from the real McCoy. Only Jesus conquered the grave. Confucius, he's in a grave. Muhammad, he's in a grave. Jesus, he rose again. He conquered death. Nothing can separate us from God. What a great God we serve. So I tell you this morning, the best way I know how, no matter what it is, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how dark the night, Christian, it's going to be all right. If you're not born again, I'd be afraid to close my eyes. If you are here today and you don't know Christ, come to him today. It's the old-fashioned gospel. It's as old as the heart of God. It's never going to change. People that walk the aisle during the old-time revival hours with old Dr. Fuller on the West Coast, that got saved then, they get saved the same way today. People that walk the aisles at Fundamental Baptist Church and come to Christ, young and old, grizzled, wrinkled, tattooed, toothless. Some have their hat on the whole service. Oh, it bugs me. Oh, man. But they come to Jesus and they get saved. I, I want to encourage you here at Loomis Park with this thought, too. Everybody that gets saved is not going to come to church here. They should. They should. Because they'll grow and their life will be a whole lot better. But you'll lead people to Christ all over this county that will never darken the doors of this church. Don't be discouraged. If they got saved, they're going to heaven. They'll thank you for all of eternity. They'll thank Jesus for all of eternity. There'll be a sea of souls that you never got out to church. It would have been better had they come but at least they got saved. Even those people that used to go to church here, thank God for them. Thank God. Don't get bitter. You'll mess up your own backyard if you get bitter. Man, just love God. And God will keep bringing more people and more people and more. Hey, everything's going to be all right. It's raining outside. 
Last I checked, there's still people at the hospitals. People dying of cancer. The economy isn't all that good. Man, it's still winter in the UP. But I want to encourage you. It's going to be all right. Let's bow our heads together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you would raise your hand. You'd say, Pastor, 